Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino, the, the Big, Big Dinosaur, Dinosaur Podcast, Podcast, where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all things dinosaur. Hello, and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And this episode is brought to you by Artemisia Publishing. They not only publish award-winning dinosaur books, but also a coloring puzzle, actually several coloring puzzles, which can be put together and then colored using markers, crayons, or colored pencils. You can get more information at apbooks.net. This week, we have Dinosaur of the Day Malawisaurus, a bunch of dinosaur news, and we want to give a big thank you to our Patreon supporters. Yeah, Big thanks to Kyle, Brendan, and the Tolbert family. Thank you so much for your support. Without you guys, we really wouldn't be getting this far. <laughs> yeah, and we just got another new patron, so thank you. We did. If you want to join this awesome group of people and our growing community, then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Dino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so jumping right into the news... There is a lot to talk about. <laughs> the first one has a fun title. It's Extreme Ontogenetic Changes in a Ceratosaurian Theropod. And it's all about a new dinosaur discovery out of China that really has been making the rounds on all sorts of news outlets. And it's not a new species. Instead, it's just a large group of a known dog-sized late Jurassic dinosaur called Limusaurus. And the holotype consisted of two subadult specimens, but now this paper is adding 17 more specimens into the mix, and they're of all sorts of different ages. So they broke them down into three groups. They have six juveniles, which are less than a year old, 10 subadults, which are two to six years old, and that's the same as the original two that they found, and then one adult, which they're classifying as older than six years old. So the thing that made this news so interesting is that the juveniles have teeth while the subadults do not. And there are plenty of animals that develop teeth later in life, like humans, <laughs> for instance. But it's incredibly rare to find an animal that starts out with teeth and then completely loses them as an adult. Adding to that, they found gastroliths within the subadults, but not in the juveniles, meaning as they got older, they swallowed stones and got gastroliths. And the gastroliths got larger in older individuals than they were in younger individuals. So there was obviously quite a bit changing with the way that these dinosaurs ate as they grew up. The researchers suspect that this might mean that the juveniles were carnivores, but that they became omnivores as they grew older. And that potentially with the gastroliths and their lack of teeth. They could have been insectivores, but they were a little bit too big being, you know, about the size of a dog. Like a dog couldn't really subsist just on insects. Same kind of logic. So losing teeth in this way is incredibly rare, like I mentioned before. And the authors put it, quote, in fact, Limosaurus represents the first known reptile with ontogenetic edentalism and is the only known example of ontogenetic edentalism in the fossil record of jawed vertebrates, end quote. So the record of jawed vertebrates is pretty large, so yeah. <laughs> that makes it pretty unique. And obviously edentalism is a weird way to say that it loses teeth as it gets older. 
The platypus also loses teeth as it ages because everything about the platypus is weird. <laughs> but as Garrett found out in his latest rabbit hole. Yeah. Man, they have like poison stingers, at least the males do, and they can echolocate. They're super weird. <laughs> <laughs> but the Levosaurus is a little bit more extreme, at least in terms of its tooth loss, because it has a full set of teeth when it's young. Whereas the platypus just has like a couple little teeth and then, you know, those disappear. So pretty cool. Pretty weird. Yep. <laughs> just another thing to add to the list of different types of dinosaurs. Next in the news, there's an article about how long dinosaurs incubated before hatching out of their eggs. And birds are well known to have very short incubation periods with their young hatching after as few as 11 days and as long as 85 days. But obviously compared to a lot of mammals where we're kind of in gestation for like nine months, elephants I think do like two years. We're close to it. Yeah, so a lot of animals go way longer than just 11 days. And since birds are living dinosaurs, we usually assume that dinosaurs also hatched very quickly. But there's new research that was published in PNAS that found some strong evidence to the contrary. So the technique they use centered around counting Ebner lines in the dentin of the tooth, and that's essentially analogous to counting the rings in a tree to measure age. They also estimated the amount of time the embryo would have developed before teeth started forming, and they were pretty conservative in that estimate because they didn't want to artificially inflate the age. And then in the Protoceratops and the Hypocrosaurus that they looked at, the embryos also had extra replacement teeth growing, so they had to factor those into the calculation of age as well. So in the end, at a minimum, the Protoceratops was estimated to be at the upper end of modern bird incubation at three months of incubation time. But the Hypocrosaurus was way past any modern bird at about six months of incubation. Still seems short to me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Only two trimesters worth of human incubation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was really interesting because they looked at the size of the Protoceratops egg and they expected it to take about 40 days if it were kind of going along the same speed as a bird, whereas as a crocodilian would have taken about 80 days and their specific estimation of the Protoceratops was about 83 days. And then the Hypercrosaurus was estimated to take about 82 days if it was a bird based on the size of the egg, and 154 days if it was a crocodilian, with the researchers ultimately estimating 171 days based on the teeth. So in both of the cases, these dinosaurs seem to develop much more like crocodiles than birds, which indicates that the dinosaurs may have shared their kind of incubation evolution with archosaurs and kind of the shared ancestor of crocodilians and birds rather than quickly evolving more like birds and then, you know, all dinosaurs behaving like birds. The thing that I like the best about this is that it potentially gives more of a reason for why non-avian dinosaurs versus avian dinosaurs survived the mass extinction. Some of the reasons the researchers gave were that if you're incubating eggs for 11 days versus six months, the parent has to be exposed much longer. And that means exposure to predators, 
exposure to starvation, and exposure to the environment. I tend to think of things like the emperor penguins, where the males have to like stand on the ice shelf for I don't even remember how many months, and they're out in the elements and all this because they have to protect that egg. I was just thinking that too, and then I was also thinking that we bring up penguins a fair amount on this podcast. <laughs> well, they're non-avian <laughs> avian dinosaur things they're like the weird sort of like modern dinosaur creatures <laughs> yeah so obviously i think emperor penguins would be a lot happier if they only had 11 days of incubation versus whatever longer period they have they must be at that 85 day end of that spectrum since they nearly starve to death every yeah. year yeah. yeah that's terrible and then on top of the exposure to the elements and predators and all this it also makes it more difficult to migrate if you imagine you have six months out of the year where you have to basically stay at your nest. You can't really migrate a thousand miles because, you know, it would take that long to get there and you'd have to immediately turn around and come back because you got to go lay an egg and then wait on it. So that might be a couple more reasons why the avian dinosaurs were better suited to survive the mass extinction if they could lay eggs and then quickly leave the terrible environment or you know grow up quicker and all that kind of stuff yeah that makes sense yep it's one of the fascinating questions to me of how animals survive mass extinctions because it always seems like how could anything possibly survive you know cockroaches right yeah <laughs> you gotta be very adaptable exactly adaptable is the word yeah <laughs> Next up, thanks to Steve for emailing us this one. There's a new article in Current Biology about a new way to see how active animals are. And basically, researchers noticed that animals with smaller red blood cells tend to be more active. And it kind of seems counterintuitive since the whole point of red blood cells is getting as much oxygen to the cells as possible, as quickly as possible. So you might think, well, bigger is better. You could carry more oxygen. But actually what they're finding is that these smaller red blood cells can kind of load and unload oxygen more quickly. So having more of these small red blood cells is better than just having large red blood cells. And it seems to hold true for living animals like mammals and birds being more active and having smaller red blood cells, whereas amphibians are significantly less active and they have big old red blood cells. So to see how active extinct animals might have been, they looked at the channels in bones where blood vessels would have gone through because the blood vessels themselves aren't really conserved and neither are the blood vessels where the red blood cells go through. But there is a pretty good correlation to the size of these holes in the bones and the red blood cell size. So you get a little bit of evidence in the paleontological record for how big their blood cells were. Unfortunately, they didn't look at too many dinosaurs, but they did see that they seem to have somewhat smaller red blood cells than amphibians and a little bit larger than mammals. So it kind of puts them in that medium activity. We talked about how there are ectotherms and endotherms, meaning warm and cold-blooded, and they might be somewhere in the middle, and this kind of puts them somewhere in the middle again. But even being like moderately active might have helped them take over after the Permian-Triassic mass extinction because they were more active than some of the other animals that were around at the time, comparing them to like the crocodilians and things that had apparently larger red blood cells and possibly were less active. 
So there's another mass extinction <laughs> bit of information. Yeah, good to know. On a not-so-happy note, at the end of December, somebody vandalized dinosaur footprints at Staffen Beach on Skye in the UK. Uh, police are looking for a man who travels in a camper van who they think is connected to the incident. According to The Guardian and The Mirror, somebody poured plaster on the footprints, which are 165 million years old and of a family of ornithopods. The news for this broke on December 30th, and I can't find any updates. It seems they haven't found the man in the camper van yet, but I hope they do. That's pretty sad. Yeah. It's not like you can replace these things. Yeah, and we talked about how it's really difficult to make a safe replica of things. You really need experts there to help you with them. Oh, yeah. You think that's what the person was doing? It kind of sounds like if they pour plaster on them, they might have been trying to make replicas. Yeah, could be. Next, Business Insider made a short, about a minute long video that shows how humans compare to the actual size of dinosaurs and I love these kind of videos. So the animation depicts a five, six tall man compared to Velociraptor, which is a foot and a half tall. Troodon, which is four feet. Coelophysis, which is also four feet. Pachycephalosaurus, which is five feet. Dilophosaurus, which is six feet. Gallimimus at nine feet. Majungasaurus at six feet. Majungasal at six feet. Triceratops at 10 feet. Carnotaurus, 11 and a half. Stegosaurus at 13 Allosaurus at 9, Parasaurolophus at 12, Suchomimus at 12, Acrocanthosaurus at 16, T-Rex at 18, Spinosaurus at 14 and a half, and Tylosaurus at 13, though that's not a dinosaur, and Brachiosaurus at 30. <laughs> and the sauropod wins. <laughs> yes. So the dinosaurs are shown from smallest to largest, uh, although those numbers, you know, don't seem that way. It's because some of them, the length is much longer than a 5'6 human. So comparatively, they, they were getting much bigger. Yeah. And we'll post a link to the video so you can watch it for yourself. Yeah, the one that kind of stands out to me is when you get to T-Rex, that's 18 feet, and then Spinosaurus is 14 and a half, because Spinosaurus is, you know, longer but not as tall because of the potential for trying to get fish. Mm -hmm. Being super tall probably doesn't help much. One's got that long snout. Yep. <laughs> Next, thanks to Dustin, who shared this with us via Facebook. So Dustin got an Amazon Echo Dot for Christmas, which I'm a little jealous, and has enabled dinosaur, quote-unquote, skills for it. And he shared with us a screenshot that shows some facts and trivia. Now, hopefully they'll keep adding more info to this. And kind of related to that, speaking of Amazon Echo, KHOU posted about Dino from Cognitoys, which is a, quote, Amazon Echo for children. Dino answers questions, plays music, tells fart jokes, holds conversations, and more, end quote. And it's a smart toy, so it reacts to moods, and it has filtered answers, and I love this. Uh, as the article says, if a kid, for example, asks where babies come from, Dino says, quote, dinosaur eggs. At least that's what I've been told. You may want to speak to an adult, end quote. <laughs> so this toy costs $99 and has a companion app so that adults can see how their kids are using it. Yeah, I looked at that a little bit. It doesn't look like it really lived up to expectations. It started as a Kickstarter project, and a lot of people were kind of disappointed in how well it worked. But Alexa is getting built into everything now. Mm -hmm. I should say the Amazon Echo is getting built into everything right now so that I don't activate by saying the A word. Oh. But <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Yeah. At CES this year, there are just like a million things that have the echo built in. So I like that dinosaurs are 
becoming a part of it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Thanks again, Dustin. If uh, your echo starts saying more dinosaur facts or gets more sophisticated or anything, let us know. Next, thanks to Sean, who shared this with us via Facebook and email. So Creative Beast Studio, which, as you may remember, we've talked about them before, they make scientifically accurate dinosaur toys at 1-6 scale. And they've reopened their pre-orders for the Beasts of the Mesozoic Raptor series, which started off as a Kickstarter project, which is when we first mentioned it. So these raptors cost between $25 and $40, and you can find out more on their Instagram and Facebook pages, which we'll share on our blog. Yeah, they look really cool. I don't think we bought one during the Kickstarter because we're not big into the collectible dinosaur figurine market. But looking at them now, I'm kind of tempted again. Yeah, the pre-orders are open. (laughs) They look pretty cool. I like the different colors that they chose for them. Mm -hmm. Me too. Next, Blue Sky Press has published a new children's book called How Do Dinosaurs Choose Their Pets? I couldn't resist. (laughs) So the story is about dinosaurs trying to bring home all kinds of animals as pets, but in the end, they learn to take home an appropriate pet to love and learn to take care of them. And the book's the latest in Jane Yolen and Mark Teague's How Do Dinosaurs series, which includes How Do Dinosaurs Eat Their Food and How Do Dinosaurs Say Goodnight. I believe we have both of those, so... (laughs) They're pretty entertaining and well-illustrated. Next, thanks to Laura, who shared this one with us via email. Camper has a new line of shoes called Dino, and they look like they belong on the Flintstones, at least a couple of them. One of the shoes is called Wilma Extreme, which is why I thought of that, and also the colors, because it's black, neon green, and neon purple, and it's a boot. And there's also a Wilma Extreme sandal. They look comfortable. You think so? Uh, the sandal looked comfortable. I think it, it looked like it might be kind of heavy, like a big old chunky monster. Oh, it's like kind of like a croc to me, the sandal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I guess crocs are generally considered comfortable. Yeah. Just yeah. not very good looking. <laughs> they definitely make a statement, Yeah. these shoes. They're on the expensive side, though, between $145 and $170. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely pretty expensive for what they look like what you get yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i couldn't really tell like the sandal looks almost like a shoe i guess that's like how you're saying a croc where it doesn't seem like it would be that comfortable without a sock but if you wore a sock you'd look pretty goofy wearing (laughs) it so yeah well 145 dollar croc that might be the best way to describe it (laughs) i have no idea how much crocs cost i feel like they're like 20 bucks I have no idea. I've never bought one. Me either. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Next, according to Inquisitor, Love Magazine published an advent calendar, and Day 22 featured a one-minute video of model Alexis Wren dancing the Nutcracker with Rexy the Coach Dinosaur, mm. basically somebody in a dinosaur costume. Coach made dinosaurs very fashionable last fall. We've talked about it before. So she's wearing a bodysuit and a leather jacket, and she dances in this quote-unquote jungle with dinosaurs. There's some other people dressed in T-Rex costumes. Not everyone liked the video. The comments were pretty funny, uh, partly because it didn't make sense. And when watching it, it really doesn't make sense. But still, dinosaurs. That's funny. Like People didn't like it because it didn't make sense. This is a reasonable reason not to like something. <laughs> <laughs> but the dinosaurs. Yeah, I guess. Speaking of dinosaurs, that segue would work for every news item, actually. (laughs) 
but the emoji Unicode, I should say, has released the new emojis that will be released in June 2017, and it includes two dinosaurs. Ooh. Yeah, so there is both a sauropod, and the description says includes brontosaurus, diplodocus, brachiosaurus, etc. Good. And a T-Rex, and that description just says Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> then Which is everybody knows. Yeah, that's true. Then if you go to the Unicode website, they have the pictures of what they potentially might look like, but they always just use the pictures that were in the submission. It's not really what it will look like on your device because every individual manufacturer makes their own version of all of these pictures, which is why on the iOS devices, there isn't a regular gun. It's a squirt gun because Apple decided we don't want a regular gun. We want a squirt gun. And then, you know, there's all sorts of differences. Like sometimes if you do the basketball emoji, there's a hoop underneath it. Sometimes there isn't because they all have their own interpretation. But there are also four other animals. There's a giraffe face, (laughs) zebra face, hedgehog, and cricket. Interesting choices. Yeah. There's also coconut and broccoli and dumplings, fortune cookies, bowl with spoon, pie, pretzel, cut of meat. You're making me hungry. Sandwich. How about canned food? Eh. (laughs) Well, you never know when you'll need to use that. That's true. They also have curling stones for our Canadian fans. Oh. Yeah. And a person, elf, genie, zombie, mage. My favorite, I think, though, is face with open mouth vomiting. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good description. And then there's shocked face with exploding head. That's also pretty good. But most importantly, the two dinosaurs. Yep. I heard that somebody submitted like 24 different dinosaurs. And I actually saw this interview with the guy who was on the panel to decide which dinosaurs. And he was like, that's just crazy. Nobody wants to have any dinosaurs. And I was like, ridiculous. I want all 24. I was trying to imagine like what 24. That is kind of a lot. Because even if you broke it down into like ceratopsians and ornithopods and big carnivores, smaller carnivores, saluosaurs, ankylosaurs, stegosaurs. It's a lot of variation. Yeah. It's kind of hard for those to come across in an emoji though. True. (laughs) Like the difference between a T-Rex and an albertosaurus on like a half centimeter by half centimeter space. Kind of hard to see. Anywho. (laughs) There's a game called Stardew Valley, which is a 2016 game that really just reminds me of Harvest Moon. And apparently that was one of their main inspirations. So that shouldn't be surprising. It's got that 8-bit graphic look and you farm. Farming games are just massively popular like farmville thing everybody was farming apparently in the game you can also get dinosaurs though can you farm with dinosaurs not really i don't really want to go into the whole process of what you do with the dinosaurs because it's long and complicated of how you get them but basically it looks like the dinosaurs replace chickens in a coop nice (laughs) (laughs) and looking at it it Basically just looks like a coop full of tiny stegosaurs, and then they lay big spotted eggs instead of white chicken eggs. That sounds adorable. (laughs) 
I mean, but they're so tiny, it's kind of hard to even see them. And I don't really think you can do anything with them. I think they just stay in the coop and then you sell their eggs. But still, emojis are tiny. They're still worth it. Yeah, I suppose so. And last, thanks to Patrick for sharing this with us on Facebook. Ark has released a new trailer for a dinosaur VR game coming out this year. It's called Ark Park. Which I just enjoy that name. So you can probably guess that it's based on Ark Survival Evolved. But unlike Ark Survival Evolved, this one is intended to be a lot less time intensive and more quote unquote relaxing, which is nice because I think I spent like 100 hours playing Ark Survival Evolved and didn't even get that far and then got kind of frustrated and realized it was going to become my entire life if I didn't stop. So a more relaxing experience is pretty inviting to me. The first thing that I noticed from the trailer was that the dinosaurs seem to be much closer to their actual size than they are in Ark Survival Evolved, because I think there was a Brachiosaurus or something that was like 100 feet tall, and the Giganotosaurus was like five times as big as the T-Rex, and they just, it was like, you know, typical video game, this one's the boss, so it's way bigger kind of logic than the actual size of animals. So that was nice to see, but then they still seem to have a lot of animals in the same setting that really don't make any sense there. Like they show a dodo bird, obviously, (laughs) (laughs) you know, those coexisted with humans. So we're a little bit off on time scale, but they also announced that you can bring in animals from the scorched earth expansion and that one includes dragons. So I don't really think they're going for full realism. And it's more of just a way to go into VR and kind of interact with your animals that you couldn't do in the regular game. So it looks really interesting. The trailer doesn't really show what the gameplay will be like, although in the press release, they make reference to petting the dinosaurs as well as riding them, which sounds pretty enjoyable. (laughs) They also talk about collecting gene cubes and taking selfies using a virtual (laughs) selfie stick. I don't know why they needed that. I guess maybe it feels natural for people to like use a VR selfie stick. I don't know. Seems strange. So the game is coming out for the Rift, the Vive, and the PSVR. So if you have any of the major VR headsets, you'll be able to play it. And it's supposed to come out sometime in 2017, but no specific date yet. Cool. Before we get into the Dinosaur of the Day, we have a word from our sponsor, Artemisia Publishing, and specifically, we want to talk about their Dinosaur Learning Activity book. It was originally published back in August of 2005, but they made a second edition in 2010 and did some updates, so that's always good to see since we know dinosaur information changes constantly, Yep. so a 10-year-old book would be pretty outdated. Not so if you update it every five years. It's a best-selling and award-winning book, and it has all sorts of different activities in it, coloring, matching, word searches, and they, like I said, do as best with the scientific accuracy as they possibly can, and that really does set it apart from just about every other dinosaur book. If you go into just a typical store and pick up a coloring book, It's often very cartoonish. Yeah, and, you know, they're all tail-dragging. It just looks like cartoons from the 50s, whereas this one looks much more modern. And I think that makes it a lot more fun for kids, too. And personally, if I had kids, this would be the book I was giving them because, you know, 
I don't want them getting confused about what dinosaurs looked like. So if you want to check out the Dinosaur Learning Activity Book or any of the other books that Artemisia Publishing makes, head over to apbooks.net. And if you're interested in their coloring puzzles, just check out the link in the show notes because it's a little bit longer. And since we're in the Bay Area in California and we're currently having the storm of the decade or whatever, I'd like to add that both these activity books and puzzles and coloring puzzles are great for these rainy days. Yeah. And if there's a power outage, they still work. <laughs> Good point. So, so when your kid can't use the iPad and they're bouncing off the walls, you can give them a activity book. <laughs> and now onto our dinosaur of the day, Malawisaurus, which was a request from Sean via Patreon. And Sean's wife was born in Malawi. So thanks, Sean, for the cool request. Yeah, that is cool. The name means Malawi lizard. It was a sauropod, a titanosaur, that lived in what is now Malawi in Africa, and it lived during the early Cretaceous. It's named for the country of Malawi, plus, you know, saurus, Greek for lizard. Gotta have saurus. Of course a saurus. <laughs> <laughs> it was named in 1993 by Louis Jacobs, D.A. Winkler, W.R. Downs, and E.M. Gomani. Sidney Houghton described Malawi Saurus in 1928, but classified it as a species of Gigantosaurus, and that species is now an invalid name for a diplodocid known as Tornieria. There's another synonym that's Genentia, which used to be a Gigantosaurus species, Gigantosaurus robustus, but that became Tornieria robustus, but was found in 1991 to be distinct from Tornieria and became known as Genentia robustus. Malawisaurus, though, is not the same as Genentia because Malawisaurus fossils come from older rocks than Genentia. So the type of species is Malawisaurus dixii. In 2005, Elizabeth Gomani wrote sauropod dinosaurs from the early Cretaceous of Malawi, Africa, and wrote about Malawisaurus. Malawisaurus is one of the few titanosaurs where skull material has been found. They found cranial elements, cervical vertebrae, dorsal vertebrae, a sacrum, caudal vertebrae, chevrons, and dermal armor. It had a short, high skull, and it was small for a sauropod, about 52 feet or 16 meters long. Tiny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just thinking about that, the video compared to the 5'6", man. Yeah. <laughs> and it possibly had osteoderms on its skin, so Malawisaurus may have had some basic armor to protect it which I love when we hear about sauropods with that kind of thing. Yeah, it's cool, especially titanosaurs. Yeah. So titanosaurs are a group of sauropods. They're very large herbivores that lived during the last 30 million years of the Mesozoic. Some species are the largest land-living animals discovered, but in many cases, scientists have found incomplete fossils. The name titanosaur comes from the titans of ancient Greek mythology. And titanosaurs were the last group of sauropods. They lived about 90 to 66 million years ago and were the dominant herbivores, and they replaced other sauropods like diplodocids and brachiosaurids. They've been found on all continents, including Antarctica. And the most titanosaurs lived in the southern continents, which was then part of the supercontinent Gondwana. Compared to other sauropods, titanosaurs had small heads. Their heads were also wide, with large nostrils and crests formed by nasal bones. Very cool. And for a fun fact of the day, I wanted to kind of explain what ontogeny is because I think it's a word we use a lot, but we haven't really explained. So ontogeny relates to developmental changes in an animal 
whereas phylogeny relates to evolutionary changes. So if you're talking about the way that, say, a dinosaur loses its teeth <laughs> as it gets older, that's an ontogenetic change. Whereas if we talk about how T-Rex is much bigger than earlier tyrannosaurids, that's a phylogenetic change because it's within you know, the evolution of different species. And building on that, there's a theory called recapitulation theory, which for hundreds of years has been used to equate embryonic development to a sort of mini evolution. And it's kind of, there's not any good evidence supporting it. But one example is that a human fetus looks like a fish because we evolved from a fish and that it literally passes through a fish stage. So people thought that for a long time. If you looked at the development of a embryo, it was actually kind of changing through like this fish stage and then into this other, you know, it's got a tail for a little while. So it looks like it's actually evolving and that it's mimicking how humans evolved. It's definitely not what's really happening. There's elements to it because we share DNA and there's reasons that the tail grows and then shrinks from different genes and proteins that get activated. But it's definitely not as simple as just going through phylogenetic changes in your ontogeny. And recapitulation theory is often summarized as ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, which I think is one of the most impressive sentences you can say, even though it's wrong. <laughs> but I actually use it from time to time to remember the difference of ontogeny and phylogeny, because if you remember ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny, and then also remember that it's wrong, you'll remember that during the process of development, it looks like you're evolving. So the ontogeny being the development, phylogeny being the evolution. It looks like it's recapitulated, not really recapitulating. <laughs> but anyway, it's kind of a fun thing to say. I could tell. Yeah. I said it like 20 times just now. <laughs> <laughs> and that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to help us keep our podcast going then check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash I know dino. Thanks again. And until next time. Thank you for listening to I know dino. If you have any questions or comments about dinosaurs, we'd like to hear from you at plesiosaur at I know And for more information on dinosaurs, go to I know or follow us on Google, Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter at I know dino.